Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. I'm Harry Drapush, your moderator for today and CEO of Amware Fulfillment. Our guest today is Dave Teeple, Director of Client Services for Sedlac Supply Chain Consultants. Dave has over 40 years' experience in direct-to-consumer fulfillment, as well as retail distribution. Dave's major expertise is distribution facility design and the integration of material handling equipment and automation. We're excited to have someone with Dave's experience on the podcast. Dave, welcome. Thanks, Harry. I'm excited to be here. You're talking about something I'm very passionate about. And I as well. I'm really looking forward to what you have to say. So let me start off by saying you've had a long career helping companies improve warehouse operations. Can you summarize how you wound up where you are today? Well, it's funny. Never really planned to end up in supply chain. Matter of fact, didn't really understand know much about supply chain when I started back in college. I was an engineering major looking for a career path, and I ended up in industrial engineering really because I enjoyed the practical aspects of mixing business and technology. When I was interviewing, it was interesting. All the plum jobs were like IBM and things like Kodak, for instance. That was a very popular recruiter. But I ended up taking a program with JCPenney and the catalog business way back when. And I was kind of the precursor to what we call now e-commerce. So I ended up in the JCPenney organization, cut my IT from B2C with them, and, and then left there when I found an opportunity with Sedlac to join their team and have enjoyed a lot of different careers within the time that I've been at Sedlac. That's interesting. Like you, I have over 40 years. That's all I'll cap to at this time of experience in logistics. And I got here in a very roundabout way. I graduated college and I was selling business forms in 1980 and I made a cold call on a trucking terminal. And the terminal manager says that we don't really buy anything here. We're central out of Stanton, Virginia. Would you be interested in a career in trucking? And so it began. It's kind of funny how we get to where we are today. Let me ask you this. What are some of the typical problems that brands or people come to you with, specifically on the B2C fulfillment side? Yeah, particularly on B2C, the number one problem we get is I can't hire enough people. B2C is very seasonally driven. The focus is really building for that holiday peak, that those 10 days between Black Friday and the Friday after Cyber Monday. That's the make or break time of year in the B2C space. And so people look to build up historically a very large seasonal workforce and the competition to get labor is so stiff and the availability of labor is just declining. It declines so much. That's the biggest challenge. Other things, though, that the people come to us is, hey, I'm growing. I need to expand. I'm looking for a new building or I need to expand my current facility. So how do I go about that? The other thing that was really relevant during COVID, it's kind of since died down a little bit, but the whole Amazon effect. How do I compete with Amazon Prime? I don't have 50, 100 warehouses around the country. I want people, I want, you know, that short delivery time. They want it same day or next day. How do I do that? So that was another thing that you still hear from time to time, but not quite as much now that things have kind of died down after COVID. Interesting. We hear the very, very same thing. Most of the prospects come to us with the issue 
that will summarize is scalability, which obviously is people shortage, right? Inability to fund the business, to grow it, to get those 10 days, to get the seasonality, to get the promotions off the ground. We can handle the day-to-day maybe, but when we start to get into peak seasonality, when we start to get into promos, BOGOs, whatever it may be, we really can't keep up and it's hurting our reputation. So yeah, we share the exact same thing that you're seeing. We have a way to handle it. I'm going to ask you, you're an advocate of robots in the warehouse, but obviously you don't think that automating processes with robots is necessarily the panacea that people may think it is. Can you kind of chat about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, automation in general, not just robotics, but a lot of the goods to person methodology that's out there and some of the other automation, in particular the software, they're not necessarily panaceas because of the fact that you still have to think through the process. Yeah, There are tools that you can use, but you really have to spend time understanding your business, understanding your customer. What are the requirements? What are my challenges? What are my pinch points or my pain points that I have to solve for? And then how do I leverage that automation so that it's scalable, flexible to handle my business? A lot of times people think it is a panacea that I can throw all types of volume at it and it will just chew through it and then spit out completed orders. And it just doesn't work that way. Too many times people are so disappointed. They say, I I didn't get what I paid for. But they didn't really think through the process and apply the technology or apply the solution correctly. So that's really kind of the biggest challenge is applying it correctly to your business model and understanding how to flow things. Boy, you've said something that resonated so well with me, and that's processes, understanding them, refining them. Well, you can automate bad processes and you'll still get a bad outcome. So absolutely, amen to that. Where do you think that the people that you're trying to help fall down in the planning and in in the implementation of the robotic solution? You think it's predominantly in that just not doing the process right and where they're really missing the mark, or is there some other area where maybe it's not the right solution? Well, there are a number of different things that come into play here. Not thinking through the process is one aspect, but sometimes that's really kind of a predicament they get into because they haven't planned properly. They decided they're going to do a project and they put this artificial timeline on there that says, this is when it's got to be done. And so they now they've constrained themselves to fit that process into this timeline that isn't realistic. So what ends up happening in the process is something falls short, whether it be the planning or the testing or the training, you know, all those are so critical to making these projects work well. And if you skimp on any one of those areas, you're going to pay the price when you go live because you're not really ready to go live. So that's a common problem. That sounds like the output of the probably many warehouse optimization projects that you've worked on. What other mistakes would you say that you see companies make when they're trying to optimize their warehouses? So they're either hindered by silo mentality. These types of projects are career breakers. And what ends up happening a lot of times is you get into a little bit of politics between the various silos in the organization. Operations and IT and finance and HR don't always necessarily see eye to eye and they don't want to be the scapegoat if something goes wrong. So they don't always necessarily work well together. So that's kind of an important aspect that you got to consider before going into one of these projects is making sure everybody's on board. 
other things that they do sometimes is, again, not get those people involved who are going to be on the projects. What they end up doing is because they have day jobs, the person who rarely should be owning the project is more focused on keeping the lights on, keeping orders going out the door, and they're not as involved in the process as they should be. And when it gets to the end, when they get handed the keys, they don't necessarily know, either know how to run it or don't believe in the solution. So a lot of times that can make the project go awry. It's interesting. It's great advice for us. You're right about the potential politics when you're dealing with a company and stakeholders and everybody wants to make sure they're represented. On the one hand, you come in as a consultant, which shouldn't be much of a threat, hopefully not right, to the people that are asking for your services. On the 3PL side, we're the obvious threat because giving the baby to us to handle, having us distribute the product for them is going to mean some job changes for the existing retailer, if you will, or seller. Everybody's always trying to get more throughput, and many people think that you require a large capital outlay to do that. But there are some opportunities, right, where there's some low-hanging fruit, and you don't necessarily have to spend a million dollars to get it. What are some of those things? Well, it really starts with back to that process and controlling that process, and that starts really with understanding your labor and labor management, using that as a tool. And labor management can be as simple as just simple reporting and tracking of activity, but it can also get very complex. Now with the software as a service model, you can really do a pay-as-you-go for a lot of these tools that are out there. And starting with that, that is probably the number one thing that you can get a quick return on your investment and drive additional throughput is really measuring and then motivating your people through some sort of incentive system along with that. Yeah. So that's a very important. Great suggestion on the pay for play and not overpaying or not spending more money than you need to, hoping capacity or something comes. Really, really good piece of advice. You know, you said something early on that really rang a bell, and that's the pace of change over the last few years. It hasn't been an incremental tweak. It's been a step change in the industry as far as technologies go. I know when I started in the business, there were no computers on everybody's desk like they are today. People laugh when you tell them that because they can't imagine it. So with all these technologies they have available out there, how can online sellers decide which technologies make sense for them? So looking at technologies and again, looking at processes, there's three kind of common components or key components that you got to look at evaluate any type of process or automation. One is how much is the investment? What's the cost of the technology? What is that going to look like? And then on top of that, what's the impact on your labor? The third thing is what's the impact on the space utilization of your building? Those are three quick components that you can easily quantify and then look to create out of that a annualized cost for that particular concept. So you can actually create a very tangible comparison between what you're doing as your baseline and then what other concepts are out there. And then you kind of on top of that layer on the intangible things, you know, how complex is it? How big of a change to your organization is it? How much is from a resource perspective does that involve? Once you lay then the intangibles onto your very tangible rankings, then you can make a good decision and select a technology or process that's right for the business. 
It's great. Yeah. Boiling it down to three fairly simple things can really help you hone in on the right technology. Thanks for that. Let's look into our logistics crystal ball, right? With 40 years of past experience, what's the inside of a warehouse going to look like in 10 years? You're certainly going to see a lot more robotics. Talked about it not being a panacea, but it is a very useful tool. And certainly when it comes to the ugliness of certain aspects of warehousing, they're great, great tools to use. Unloading and loading trucks, for instance, that's an ugly job. It takes a strong back. It takes somebody that's good at Tetris and has some stamina. And certainly it's not the nicest environment, particularly in the summertime or the wintertime. It can be very cold or very hot being inside a container or a truck. So you're going to see, I think, a lot of automation that's really geared towards the redundant jobs or repetitive jobs. And you're going to see that technology utilized to handle things like transportation, which is zero value add, but you still got to do it. You got to move product from point A to point B. So leveraging the automation to do those types of things makes a lot of sense. And I think you're going to see a lot of activity there. This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at AmwareFulfillment.com. I fully agree. In our Atlanta facility, we've got some 35 robots running around. If you would have told me even 30 or 20 years ago when I was in the business that there'd be robots in the warehouse, I'd have probably said, I can't see it. But now I cannot see a warehouse without that. You know, your point earlier, labor's tough, difficult to get. There's a lot of repetitive activities in a warehouse that go on that people aren't crazy about doing. And if you can find them, and to your point, the ergonomics of them working that constantly. Automation, robots make a lot of sense. How should operations leaders start preparing for that? Because it's going to happen. It is. But again, it starts with the leaders really understanding the technology and being able to kind of communicate the benefits. They really need to kind of help their associates not be fearful of it and understand that it's making life better for them. One of the things we've seen where people do that really well is they introduce the cool factor which is actually super helpful from an HR perspective in recruiting. So getting people that are actually working with robotics, not necessarily doing the grunt jobs, whether they are supporting them through intelligent value-added processes or they're supporting them through technical aspects of diagnosing problems, it becomes a big plus for a warehouse that's implemented them properly because it becomes now a benefit from a recruiting perspective. Yeah, I like the coolness aspect of that, being able to come home and talk to the family about I'm working with robots. Can you give us some examples that you've worked on or customers that you've helped direct with robots, for instance, if you can share that? Sure. We did actually a very cool project recently where we had a client that was experiencing exponential growth They had a multi-channel building and they needed to really pull the B2C aspect of their business out because that was exploding and that really needed its own space and a different set of automation than what they had in their multi-channel building. But we knew that that was a much bigger building, so they had to 
go out and find the space and then equip the space, which is a lengthy process. So in order to salvage the peak season that they needed to get through, you know, while they were doing the longer term plan, we did a pop-up facility, which is we're able to kind of lease an appropriate size building, equip it with the right amount of equipment. We didn't put any racking in it. We did storage on the floor for the reserve and some rudimentary shelving for picking. And we were able to leverage the AMRs to help with the picking process so they didn't have to do kind of an RF-based picking model. And that really kind of helped them through that peak season until the following year when they could move into their new facility and start up with the longer-term solution. I'll go out on a limb and say this, that not every engagement you get is a white paper. Hey, help me, Dave. I'm starting out. I'm sure some of those have been, I got a nightmare here, man. We did something that we shouldn't have done. We can't figure it out. We're knee deep into this. Any examples of that? Yeah. Again, going back to the automation being Nirvana, we worked with a client where they had implemented unit sortation, kind of a tried and true automation. But if you've worked with unit sorters, you know that they are a very rigid technology and you got to feed them. And you got to take product away from them to keep them moving and to get the throughput. And when you can't do both of those, then what you end up doing is disappointing customers because you can't meet the rates. And we certainly have worked with a, a couple of clients that have been challenged with flowing goods through that type of e-commerce model. Right. So if you go to a reseller of whatever technology it is, they're going to sell you that technology, right? That's how you get into that issue in the first place. And you, Dave, and Sedlak in general are not invested in any one solution. And that's why people come to you. And so where can people go to find out more information about you and Sedlak? My go-to for finding information out about people's LinkedIn. So I encourage people to look up my LinkedIn profile. You can find out a little bit more about myself. And then that kind of leads to my involvement with Sedlak. And certainly our website is another great tool, which tells you a little about our services. There's blogs about common problems that we've seen that we can share ideas with people. So both of those tools are great ways to kind of get in touch and have a conversation. What's important is to be able to kind of communicate and ask questions and find solutions together. I've been struck by that commercial where the current day Charles Barkley is sitting with his younger self on the couch if Dave Teeple was sitting on the couch with his younger version of Dave Teeple, maybe 40 years ago, what advice would you give yourself? Stay committed to constant learning. I mean, I'm a big proponent of learning and had to learn a, a bit of that the hard way. Coming out of school wasn't necessarily geared towards that ever constant attitude of learning and networking. That's the other thing that I think is so crucial in your career is getting out and, and whether you're going to industry events, you're going to local events, you're getting involved in the community. Those are two kind of key areas that I learned the hard way and I wish I'd gotten started much earlier. But certainly as I talk to students these days, those are two kind of number one pieces of advice that I give people. That's really great. So I guess in closing, I would ask if your clients had an unlimited budget, it's hard to say what they would spend it on because you don't know the specific problem they're trying to, but how should they spend that money? What would the steps they should engage before they put that budget to work anywhere? Well, we talked about the process of how do you identify the right automation? How do you go through that process of selecting it? That's super critical. Understanding what you buy. It's kind of like 
getting into the stock market. You talk to a broker and don't invest in things that you don't know much about. You spend your time, do your homework. So understand what's out there and how to apply it. So that's one thing that I think when you're talking about spending money, you've got to do. As far as things that you might spend your money on, one of the things that I think people are challenged with, in the, particularly in the B2C space, again, goes back to that comment I made earlier about flowing things. Unless you're an expert and have a long time experience in waving and understanding how to build ways, flow things, you flow your orders through your system, that's one of the biggest challenges many, many organizations face. But you're seeing again with AI in particular, you're seeing a lot of proliferation of software. And it used to be solely the focus of what we call the warehouse execution systems. But now you're seeing the warehouse management systems getting on that bandwagon as well. And a number of years ago, they called it the waveless environment, the software that can kind of help you with that flow. That's a critical tool to supporting the automation. And that's probably where clients kind of skimp on their investment. And that's an area where I think you can spend your money, focus more on that than the automation to really ultimately get the best bang for your buck. Well, I'll tell you what, if I had an unlimited budget, the first place I'd spend it on is Dave Teeple and Spedlack. I'd get you in the tent with me for sure. After this session, I may need that help myself. So Dave, it's really been great speaking with you. Really learned a lot. I'm sure it's going to be interesting for our listeners and I hope you come back and do it again with us. Oh, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. As you know, I like talking supply chain and automation. Mm-hmm.